this series called Broken Before Breakthrough. And and the big motivation behind this, if you look at scripture so many times, if you look at great, study great awakenings of the past, which I know we all do, a lot of times there was a, a huge brokenness that occurred before the people experienced a great breakthrough from God. There was brokenness over sin, over people who were suffering, over their attitudes, behaviors, a lot of different things, but there was a brokenness. People were drawn to the Lord through confession and repentance, and out of that came a breakthrough. And honestly, that's what we're asking of God. We're coming before him as a church, and I challenge you to one meal a week to fast and pray this prayer. Father, is there anything in my life that is offensive to you? That he would call that out, and we would confess and repent of that sin and, and not let it slow us down. And then the second prayer is, Father, is there anything in my church that is offensive to you? That corporately we can confess that and get rid of that so it doesn't hinder us from being the church God's called us to be. It's an exciting time to be in our church at First Burleson. God is doing God things. Uh, We're seeing people get saved, things getting changed, fixed, restored. God's doing what God does here. And and I think part of that is because we have humbled ourselves before him and said, Lord, whatever you want to do, we want to do it. We want to be a part of what you're doing in this kingdom. One of the things we also realize is that we are called here for a purpose. We are called to be a light in a dark world as a church. And if you've paid any attention to the world, it's a dark, dark place. There's a lot of suffering, a lot of struggling, a lot of feeling of disconnection. I think that God has created something within us, a desire for community. That's why church is so important if you're in the faith. You need to belong to a local body of believers to be encouraged, to to develop, to grow, to strengthen others. I'm, I'm excited about our First Friends ministry that's reaching out to people that are new in our community. Because if you've ever moved to a new place where you didn't know a soul, you didn't know the layout of the land, there's a, a great feeling of loneliness. There are people just all around us every day that struggle with this issue of loneliness. Where do I belong? Do I belong anywhere? Because God created us with a desire for community. And if you don't have community, it's a terrible, terrible place to live. And so we want to counteract that by being the kind of church that reaches outside these walls. In our study today of 1 John chapter 3, John uses this analogy of adoption to help describe for us the relationship that we have to God. So I thought that was very interesting. And we can all kind of relate to that. Many of you have been adopted or many of you have adopted or fostered. So that's a concept in our world that's easy to grasp. And so he uses this to help us understand what it means to be a part of the family of God. And I read some statistics, uh, according to childtrends.org, that average child that's in the, the foster care or adoption system spends about three months in care before the adoption is finalized. And so we see a lot of the struggles of our society that come out of some of these children that have been abandoned by their families or have gone through some really difficult times. Uh, this article said that foster kids are much more vulnerable to human trafficking, um, Sexual assault, sexual harassment. One of the reasons, last year, if you remember, we gave money to Forever Love, Forever Wanted, which is a ministry of another church in our area to help support foster families who foster children. So it was a great honor to get to be a part of that because it's a huge issue. So John kind of uses this idea, if you can just imagine, and maybe you have been one, what it would be like to be an orphan and just feel like you don't belong anywhere. And so he uses to describe where we were before we met Christ and now how that has changed. And so if you have your Bible, I invite you to open to uh, John chapter 3. So what John is going to say for us is, first of all, that the Father, 
The God of the universe has desired to adopt us. John highlights this need to belong to signify that the reason we have this need is to draw us to God and to draw us to this sense of community. The first verse says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And John highlights the fact that we are made in the image of God. Imago Dei. We are made, we are image bearers. We are made in the likeness of God. Nothing else in creation, only people, we are made in the image of God. That was a theme for Storm the, this just a few weeks ago for our students, and they focus on that idea. What does it mean to, to be made in the image of God, to bear the image of God? Well, this is exactly what John is dealing with in this part of his letter, part of this chapter 3. So chapter 3, verse 1, John writes this. See what love the Father has lavished, I love that word, lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world doesn't know us is that it didn't know him. So again, as Christians, we shouldn't be surprised that the world rejects us or doesn't understand us because they didn't understand Jesus. So we are connected to him. We are made in his image. John says, you can be confident in this. I love how he says it. The love that the Father has lavished on us, and now we are called children of God. He said, and that's what we are. The reason we're called that is because that's what we are. What a freeing statement. What a powerful statement. What an identifying statement. I am a child of God. And he uses this idea of orphans. So again, imagine an orphan not feeling connected, not belonging to anyone. Now, many of you know we have a fantastic couple in our church, the McConnells, Tiffany and Terry, who felt the call of God to move to Guatemala to work with Eagle's Nest Orphanage. And we sent them out. We are their sending church. We are part of what's going on there. Uh, And here's a little bit, just a reminder of what they're doing. Here's Tiffany. Hola, familia. I'm Tiffany, and my husband and I are staff missionaries with First Baptist. We live here at Eagles Nest Children's Home in Guatemala. And when Pastor Ronnie said that he was going to be talking about adoption this Sunday and he would like to include us in that conversation, I was thinking about um, how we could be included in that conversation because really um, adoptions here in Guatemala, international adoptions, have been closed since 2008. Church family, I think God, I know God has called us to take care of the orphans and the widows. For Terry and I, it looks like coming here. I don't know what God is calling you to specifically, but I know he's calling you to something. Um, I know in our Western culture in the United States, it's really easy to look at what others have and think that we're not fully equipped to take on another child. Uh, But when you come somewhere here and you realize what your needs truly are and what uh, versus what our wants are, it's it's very eye-opening what we can do uh, with so little. So I want to encourage you, Terry and I both want to encourage you, that if you feel like God is moving you in some way, tugging at your heart right now or during this sermon, to somehow step into orphan care or taking care of the neglected and abused children, I would encourage you to pray about it and, and make a decision to be obedient to God regardless, regardless of what he's saying and what he's calling you to. I'm going to tell you it's not going to be easy. Uh, we've been here, like I said, nearly two and a half years. 
and um, it's been difficult. There have been moments of, of really challenging times, and I imagine that would be the case for anybody stepping into something um, this important, uh, including you, if you were to take in children into your home. But that doesn't mean it's any, it's, it's any reason to avoid it. If anything, it's more reason to step into it. Uh, God will equip you. Uh, he'll help you get through it. And even when we don't think we have enough, He is always enough. So thank you, church family, very much for everything you do to make sure that we are fully supported here and that we're taken care of. And we love you guys so much. And you truly are. You truly are uh, the hands and feet of Jesus. And you are already participating in orphan care uh, through praying for us and giving. And we just appreciate you guys so much. But we will be praying for you guys as you, you um, sit here and you listen to Ronnie's message. And we'll be praying that God impacts your heart and tugs at your heart and that you can step into that obediently. We love you guys. We love the McConnells and proud of the work God's doing through them. And so, like, when you give to our church budget, part of that goes to help support them. But if you want to look for other ways to kind of connect in McConnells, we can help you do that. Uh, we always encourage our life groups to go on a mission trip together. If you're interested in going on a mission trip, Guatemala would be a great first step, uh, especially if you've never done a mission trip. And we can help facilitate that as well. But I just wanted to highlight that because that's, again, the mission. They're there in that orphanage to help minister to those kids in the name of Jesus and, and help them find health and, and get through life, but also that they might come to understand Jesus Christ. And so I wanted to highlight that because this is what John is saying to us. We were once orphans. We were of the family of Satan at one point. We belonged to the family of Satan. We, be, we were children of the darkness. And through Jesus Christ, we have been adopted into God's family. We have a new name, a new identity. And not only has he renamed us, he has remade us. It's not just a name change. It's not just a behavior change. It's a whole identity change. Now, we are children of God, and he says this with great confidence. Just imagine that if you were a, an orphan wondering if anybody ever cared about you, wondering if you'd ever be connected, and you hear the words, you are adopted. <laughs> imagine how amazing that would feel, what hope that would bring. And that's what John is saying to us. You were of darkness. Now you are children of light, children of God, and that should bring energy. <laughs> and excitement, and courage, and strength. One of the terms I've learned over the recent years about adoption of uh, foster kids is the term forever family. So these orphans, they're looking for their forever family, a family to adopt them, and that will be their family forever. I love that term, because this is what John is saying to us. God's forever love is extended to us, and he invites us to be a part of his forever family. Because before him, we don't belong to anything. We belong to darkness. We don't belong to life and hope and joy. And this is what John says. The Father pours, lavishly pours his love out on us that we might receive this invitation to be adopted. And I love the way he describes it. He says, what kind of love is this? And he's saying, basically, I can't understand it. I can't fathom this kind of love. In fact, the Greek word there means not of this country. So John is saying, this love that I've experienced through Jesus Christ it's just out of this world. It's out of this, I can't imagine where it came from. And remember, John is the disciple, the beloved. John, who wrote the Gospel of John. This love that he experienced with Jesus on this earth, the love that he experienced from God. I just can't wrap my mind around it. And yet he lavishly pours this out into my life, and it's so foreign to me. And then he says again with confidence, and that is what we are. No doubt, no wavering, no ifs, 
no gray area. We are children of God if we are in Christ. It's our new nature. It's our new identity. It's our new DNA. The Spirit of God now lives within us. And so this creates a certainty in our lives. It creates a confidence in our lives. It allows us to live, endure, persevere, all the stuff that we face on this earth because we know we belong to God. And we know that this is temporary. And the pain and the sorrow that we experience, the hurt, the misery, the confusion that we experience now does in no way compare to the glory we will experience with God in heaven. Amen? Come on, baby, say something. Right? Nobody wants to go back to the darkness, right? Darkness is scary. That's why we have nightlights. That's not in here. I just thought of that. Right, verse 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So we will be conformed to the image of God. That's, that's our goal, right? Not to be conformed to the patterns of this world, but to be transformed into the image of Christ by the renewing of our minds. So it's a process. We're in, we are in process, and we won't fully realize it until we see him face to face. And the minute we see Jesus face to face, we will be as he is, glorified, completely purified, sanctified, completely justified. What a glorious day that we look forward to. So this, but until then, we live in that already not yet tension. The Bible's very clear. The moment you claim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the moment you invited Jesus to be the leader and forgiver of your life, you were adopted into the family, okay? At that moment, Jesus said yes. But we are learning what it means to be in that family. We are learning what it means to be a family member. So we know that we have not arrived there yet. So that's frustrating a little bit because we want to be that perfect child. But So that's the tension. We, we know that's where we're headed when Jesus comes. We'll be like him. We'll be sinless. But until then, we still struggle with this battle of sin. So there's the tension that John writes about. Okay, so we, we face that. We all feel that. Paul felt that. We don't fully realize what it means to be a child of God. We haven't fully experienced what it means. We haven't fully received the inheritance of what it means to be a child of God. But it's coming. <laughs> and so that knowledge allows us to endure and to grow in this world and in this life. But we long for that day. We long for Jesus to come and take us back. We long to, to be with him in eternity in heaven. It made me think, if, if you're a parent, if you ever heard this phrase, how much longer, Daddy? Mom, how much longer? Like when my kids were little, that's when Barney was popular, the little purple dinosaur with an annoying song. And so a kid would say, hey, you know, how much longer, Mom? Well, three more Barneys. <laughs> so they could equate to three Barneys. And, and we were one of those parents that we were very judgmental uh, with our children and towards other families. And so that was kind of when... TVs were starting to be put in cars and entertainment systems and screens and all that. And we vowed we are never going to do that. We are never going to be those kind of parents that give screens to their kids so they don't have to talk to them. We grew up playing games and car games on road trips and conversations and singing songs. And that's what we want for our kids. And so we thought we're never going to be those other kind of parents. It just took one 11-hour trip to Nashville to change all of our perspectives, right? 
so we went out and bought it. It wasn't even a TV made for the car. It was just one you could plug into a, a lighter, a cigarette lighter, and a bungee cord. And we strapped it on the console. Kids, shut up and watch TV, right? Yes. That was an educational program, of course. It was all Bible stories, of course. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> we will be conformed. How much longer? That's the tension. How much longer, God? How much longer do we have to endure? How much longer do we have to persevere? How much longer do we have to wait? Jesus, when are you coming? Surely it can't get any worse than this. And that's the tension we live. And sometimes that tension leads to frustration. Sometimes that frustration leads to sin. John says, be careful. Paul says the same thing. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. In other words, Paul says, just hang on, baby, it's coming. Just hang on. I know it's tough right now. I know you're enduring a lot. I know you're struggling a lot, but just, just hang on. Just notice God around you and know that more is coming. See the goodness of God in the present and know that even more. What you can't imagine with your mind, what you can't imagine with your ears, what you can't imagine with your mind, just hang on, baby, because it's coming and it's going to be life-changing. This is the God we serve, but we're in that middle ground right now. It's hard to be in the waiting period. It's hard to be in the middle. He says, don't lose hope. You're under process. You're under construction. And then he says, but here's that hopeful phrase again, we will see him. We will. That's confidence. This is an interesting verb. It doesn't mean just to see him with our eyes. It doesn't mean just to be in his presence. It means that there's a sense of appreciation, a sense of awe and respect that we long for, that when we see him, we will be overwhelmed by his presence in our life. Verse 3, John writes, all who have hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. You will be consistent. Again, not saying we're not going to mess up, not saying we're not going to sin, but we will be consistent in our understanding and our striving to be like Jesus. He says, you have been consecrated. You have been purified. Purified here means to be free from all contamination. Those sins that you committed before you met Christ, you don't carry them into the new life. The sin that you commit, even as a Christian, through confession and repentance, that you don't carry the residual with us. Jesus died to make sure we don't carry those sins with us. Now, we try to do that. We try to define our future by our past. And that's why we feel so frustrated, like we're running on a treadmill spiritually. John says, you're not carrying this with you. You are consecrated. You are purified. You are justified. You are sanctified. You are holy. So when you start to wrap your mind around that, you start to identify yourself that way, then this life of becoming more like Jesus has a new motivation. Because we realize it's not our ability, but it's God's. But until Jesus returns, he, as we read in the Gospels, he is our model for purity. He is what we're striving to live. Verses 4 through 6, John writes, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. John is saying there's going to be a family resemblance. If you truly belong to Jesus, there's going to be a family resemblance. People are going to start to see that you look, you look a little like Jesus. You, you act a little like Jesus. When I see you doing those things, it kind of reminds me of what I read about Jesus doing. Obviously, we're not going to be Jesus. We're not there yet. 
but we are striving that people might notice. There should be a family resemblance but when people see you, even before you even speak a word. Before you say I'm a Christ follower, they ought to be able to see some family resemblance. Here's a picture of me and my son about the same time frame age-wise, right? So there's a little bit of resemblance maybe. Even today people come up and say, oh, your son looks just like you. And I apologize for that, but that's what I hear. So John saying, look, when people look at you, just looking at you, they ought to see some kind of family resemblance. I, I kind of see Jesus in you. What a great compliment, huh? What a wonderful thing to hear. Hey, I'm not perfect. I sin, but I'm becoming more like Jesus today than I was yesterday. This is the progression. We're not going to be perfect. Sin here, the word sin was an old archery term that meant to miss the mark. So when John is talking about sin here, he's talking about defiant rebellion against God, against what he has said, deviation from his standards. For example, God says very clearly in the Bible, God made sex for marriage. Marriage, sex is for marriage alone. When you choose to go outside those boundaries, that's open rebellion against God. All right? So John gives, 1 John 1, 9, when you sin, confess that sin. He's faithful and just to forgive you that sin. All right? The Bible says don't steal. Ten commandments, don't steal. All right? So when that cashier gives you too much money back, do you say, thank you, Jesus, for the blessing? Or you say, I'm sorry, you gave me too much money, you give it back. Right? Or people look at you and say, you're, you said that you became a Christian, but you're just as angry today as you were back then. You're just as hard to work with today as you were back then. I don't see any change. I don't see any difference. Do you treat your spouse differently now that you're a Christian? Do you treat your family differently that you're a Christian? Do you, are you a better employer, a different employer or employee now that you're a Christ follower? Again, is there any resemblance to Jesus in your life? John says if you truly belong to him, you're going to start to look like him. And this is the identifier. John writes this. I mean, it's a very convicting. It's very humbling. The fact that John would say that sin is a part of your life, if I'm a child of God, when I hear that, it ought to have the same impact on my life as if I heard I had stage four cancer. There's sin in your life. And I realize sin is a cancer. And I don't want it to be in my life because it's not who I am anymore. Again, that pursuit of sin, he's, talk, he's not talking about the daily trip-ups that we have. He's talking about that pursuit of sin, allowing some element of sin in our life and say, well, that's just who I am. I'm not perfect, but I'm forgiven. <laughs> it's not a license to sin. If you can sin and not feel bad about it, there's a problem. If you can sin and allow a sinful habit in your life and just, you've just accepted it, that's a part of who you are, that, that's a problem. Because it's not. That's, that's a lie from your other father, the devil. Not your new one. Verses 7, he says, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are, and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. So I, I don't know if you men have been to men's breakfast. Uh, it's a great time. Every first Saturday of the month, uh, we have breakfast and Bible study. And Russell Garcia 
is there. He's been teaching us um, all kinds of different things. But one of the things he talked about, and I love this phrase, and I just kind of wrote it down. Love God, hate sin, sin less. First of all, I love it because he starts with love God. That's where it starts. That's what John is talking about. It starts out of a love for God, not out of a sense of duty or responsibility, but out of a sense of expression of love. So if I love God, what that will lead me to do is to hate sin, to hate the sin in my life because I realize it is destructive, it is a cancer, it seeks only to destroy. And because of that, I will sin less today than I did yesterday. It's not about behavior modification. It's not about just doing a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's about my love for God. The more I fall in love with God, the deeper I go in love with God, the more I hate sin, and the more I sin less, is what John is saying. And then he says something very important to understand. Jesus destroyed the works of the devil. What that means is sin has no power over your life anymore if you are in Christ. You can't say the devil made me do it. <laughs> he can't make you do anything. Sin doesn't have to be controlling in your life. Those old ways before Jesus don't have to be a part of your new life. You've been set free. First step is to acknowledge you have weaknesses. Can we just admit that we all sin? Can we just say that? I sin, just say it. I sin? Yeah, right? John knew that. God knows that. But God has provided a way that sin doesn't have power over us. We don't have to remain in sin. We don't have to pursue sin. We don't have to live in sin. We live in light. To be accountable to someone, it's just God gave us common sense, right? You struggle in an area, that you need to have somebody in your lives to say, help me in this area. Without judgment or condemnation, because we all have those areas. We all have those temptations. What tempts me doesn't tempt you, but we all have temptations that we seem to easily give into. So we need help. God says that's why you're in community, to help one another. John says, don't try to live this faith life by yourself. You're not going to do very well. You need somebody that you can say, hey, I, I have a hard time with this. I need you to pray for me. I need you to help me. I need you to ask me the hard questions. I need you to keep an eye on me. We are our brothers and sisters keepers. And then just put filters on things. Make sure your spouse knows all your passwords. Have joint bank accounts. Don't, don't open yourself up to giving in to temptations. Make sure the people around that you can trust. Doesn't have to be a ton of people. Doesn't need to be a ton of people. Just a few people that you can go to and say, I need your help. It's okay to need help. Jesus destroyed it so that sin has no power over us. He talks about being righteous. We are righteous because we've been born again. And we can do a lot of righteous acts. Non-believers can do righteous looking things. They can do right things. But John said it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with just doing good things. You have to be born again. If you want to be righteous, sanctified, justified, you have to be born again spiritually to give your life to Christ, to take on this new identity that comes from being a part of God's family. And he says the evidence is this. God's children do what is right. When we're faced with an opportunity to sin, the choice is really this, do I want to reflect Jesus or do I want to reflect Satan in my decision? The Bible says with every temptation, God provides a way out. That's usually right at the first. And we have to acknowledge by making this decision, am I going to reflect Jesus or am I going to reflect Satan? Am I going to reflect my new father or am I going to reflect my old father? You don't have to reflect the old father anymore. You belong to the one true one now. And with this understanding, John says, hey, you're not perfect, you're going to sin. 
there's a, that desire to have that family resemblance that I look more like Jesus. And that gives us this sense of I belong. We're no longer orphans. We belong to our forever family. You have a forever family. And your father is the creator of the universe if you will only receive the adoption that he offers. Like the song says, in my father's house there is a place for me. I am a child of God. Yes, I am. When you can say that boldly, I am a child of God, that brings assurance, that brings security. I'm still going to sin, but God is never going to stop being my father now. Isn't that awesome? Because we do some boneheaded stuff. Even as Christians, we do some stupid stuff. Sorry for using the S word. But we do, right? But it never stops God from being our father. He never stops loving us. That's amazing. Assurance. It's the assurance that we are righteous. The assurance that we live a life of victory. That God is our father. And because of that understanding, because I understand I am a child of God, then I want to do everything I can to express love to the Father. I want, I want to do everything I can. Well, the things that I say, the things that I do, I want them to express love to my Father. As parents, when our kids were at home growing, especially the teenage years, I knew my kids were going to be tempted to do drugs, drink, sex, all the, all the kind of temptations that come with life. I knew that they were going to be tempted. I wasn't naive. Didn't try to put them in a bubble. And we raised our children, in, in, hopefully in such a way that when they were tempted, someone offered them drugs or, or offered them a beer and underage and someone, that they would think in their mind, first of all, not, not that, man, if I do this and my dad finds out, he'll kill me, which I would have, but that's beside the point. What I wanted them to think in those moments of temptation I can't do this because if my dad found out, it would kill him that I let him down. See the difference? Duty versus relationship. Have to versus love. That's what John's saying to us. God is not looking for us to be right and do the right thing because, well, that's our duty and that's our responsibility. John is saying when you love God first, then you're going to want to do what is right. I wanted my kids to, because of their love for me, to say, I want to do what is right because I don't want to disrespect or dishonor my father. That's exactly what John's saying. And John's saying, we can live that way because we have been adopted into his light, into a family where the father lavishly pours his love on us. And our father walks around and says, that's one of mine. That's one of mine. That's one of mine. How cool is that? I heard somebody say one time, if, if God had a wallet, your picture would be in it. <laughs> Wallets are things that people used to carry to put money in. Now it would probably be on his iPhone, right? So here, here's the challenge. I would challenge you today or sometime this week just to write down one thing that's in your life that doesn't look like Jesus, that doesn't reflect Jesus. Maybe you need to pray about this. God, what, is there something in my life that doesn't reflect Jesus? Father, is there something in my life that is offensive to you? And write it down, confess it, and repent of it. And maybe that means, hey, go, come alongside somebody. I need you to help me with this issue. I, I really struggle with this issue. And I need you to pray for me. I need you to hold me accountable. I, I need your help with this. And the other challenge I would say to you, if you have never 
receive the adoption of God that he offers to you, that you would do that today. If you've never acclaimed Jesus Christ as a leader and forgiver of your life, that you would do that today. If you've never accepted the invitation to be adopted into the family of God, that you would do that today. In fact, I want to help you do that. If you just bow your head and close your eyes right now. If you would say to me, you know, Ronnie, I, I know a lot about God, but I've never had that experience of giving in my life. But I'm ready to do that. I want you to just kind of pray a prayer like this. Father God, I believe that I am a sinner. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sin. And I believe that you raised him from the dead three days later. And Jesus, I invite you into my life to be my leader and to be my forgiver. Thank you for rescuing me. And if you pray that prayer, you need to tell somebody. If you pray that prayer for the first time, we'd love to know about it because there's some next steps you need to take. Or if you're thinking about it, or that's the first time you've ever heard of that, you have questions. Or maybe you have a prayer need. In just a minute, we're going to sing together. There's going to be some folks standing up front. And they'd be so happy to talk to you or pray for you. We have a prayer wall where you can put prayer requests on. We have kneeling benches where you can just come and pray and talk to God here up front. And these folks are going to be down here to help you, pray for you, talk to you. Not only now, they'll be here after the service. If you feel more comfortable coming up after people are dismissed they're here for you but before we sing this song I want to read the words to you who am I that the highest king would welcome me I was lost but he brought me in oh his love for me who the sun sets free oh is free indeed I am a child of God yes I am free at last he has ransomed me his grace runs deep while I was a slave to sin Jesus died for me. In my Father's house, there is a place for me. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am a child of God. Yes, I am. Man, I hope we can all say that. Maybe today you just needed to be reminded that's your identity. Or maybe you've never said that. Even when I just prayed, you, you didn't say it then. But you have questions. We'd love to help you get to that place where you can say, I am a child of God.